Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and gaming writer at Breach PLC. In this week's episode, I spoke to Footwiz Dan, the co-founder and CEO of Footwiz. Dan has worked in and around the esports industry since 2005, mostly around FIFA games. In 2012, Dan became the co-founder and CEO of Footwiz, a website which quickly became one of the biggest FIFA community database websites. A few years ago, Dan became manager of Team Footwiz, their very own professional FIFA esports team, who now have some of the best FIFA esports players representing their organization. This is the Footwiz story, told by Footwiz Dan himself. Enjoy! Joining me on the Level Up podcast today is Footwiz Dan. Uh, how are you doing, Dan? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Good. It's great to have you on. Really appreciate you, uh, you agreeing to come on. I want to talk to you, obviously, about Footwiz from when it all started. Now, Team Footwiz is known for, I mean, FIFA players around the world know, know your team. They know the website. The FIFA community know your website, obviously, very well. But I wanted to know kind of where it all started for you. Um, when, when did the whole Footwiz brand come about? Probably around 2012. Uh, it actually started with a, a group of FIFA forum moderators. Uh, so we're in the moderator chat room. Um, we were just messing about with like concept items. Um, there's a coder in there who was manipulating the web app view to, to make certain items like he'd be able to make uh, at the time uh, I'm a Sunderland fan um, one of my favorite players was Nicholas Bentner so he'd make me click on links that looked like it as a web app a legit web app with a pink Bentner or a bronze Bentner and it was just a case of like hey we'd like messing about with this maybe other people would so um, it just you know we, we made it into a kind of a public website and built this kind of squad builder to web app view converter um, that evolved into a, a database site over time, and uh, it turns out that people really like using it. And uh, from from launch, really, it did pretty crazy numbers, and it's just snowballed from there, really. There's a couple of different websites, isn't there, as well as yours. You've got Footbin mm-hmm. and Foothead as well. Uh, how quickly did they come about? Were they were they around when you started, or what what was the situation there? So Foothead were about, I think, six to eight months. I could be wrong there. Uh, out before us, um, I think. We've got a really good relationship with Foothead. I think competition um, is is only good for the community. Um, we've we're both as uh, EA game changers. You know, we've we we try and do things the right way. Um, uh, respect you know, the terms of service, etc. But we've got a really good relationship with each other, and I think it just helps drive um, the, a better experience for for the community because I think choice is always good. Yeah, and obviously you said that. Um the creation of Footwiz came about just from kind of messing around and seeing what kind of idea, you had an idea, I suppose. Did you have any kind of long-term plan in place in terms of what it might look like in a few years? Because obviously it's massive now. Not really. Um, I mean, I've been playing FIFA since 94, since the first one. I'm getting on a bit now. Um, 
and FIFA has always been a big part of my life, whether it's you know through through my childhood, through university, um, and it's always something that I, I wanted to kind of work alongside as a hobby. So it was just that it was just hey, we're we're doing this website and we're just doing this in our in our spare time to see how it goes, and it blew up pretty quickly. You know, within two years, two and a half, maybe three, um, went full time on it. Took a bit of a gamble in terms of hey, do you think we can make this stick um, full time? Uh, if we can put more hours into it, we'll get more out of it. And we did. And um, yeah, it's 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 just gone from there, really. Um, before Fotwiz, um, so which launched in 2012, uh, 2000, maybe 8, 2010, um, I was competitive FIFA player um, for a couple of teams, Team Infused and Power Gaming. Uh, I think at my peak, I think I placed third in a UK tournament. Um, never managed to, to get anywhere near a FIFA Interactive World Cup, unfortunately. But that gave me my kind of grounding in, in esports. Um, I worked quite closely with the, the managers um, of some of the teams I played for, and they kind of showed me the ropes. And I learned a little bit about how to to, to manage an organization, how to approach and deal with partners. Um, and that kind of piqued my interest in, in, in getting into esports again at a later date if we ever had the brand to support it. But it was never part of the initial FOTWIS roadmap was, hey, let's do esports one day. It kind of like we started to kind of figure out that EA were going to start getting into esports and support it with, with fight champions. And as soon as that came in, it's like, Hey, this is, this is time. Let's get into esports. Now we've got the brand ready. Um, we've obviously got the, the past experience in esports. So, uh, that moved quite quickly, but it was never part of the original plan. And how long was it going from just a, a kind of FIFA website to uh, a complete database of all the new players coming on, the promos and all that kind of stuff? It was quite quick, really. Um, a lot of manual input to begin with, but um, we kind of needed the database to make the web app squad builder work. So you can't really have one without the other because you need the complete database of players to be able to modify to, to put on the squad builder. So um, that was quite quick. I think the thing that took a bit more time was to get like live prices for the transfer market um, and a few more like in-depth features, like you know, being able to compare one player to another. Um, and it's just, yeah, really something that we built up quite quickly over the following years. And since then, it's just been a case of you know, evolving, adapting to new features that, that EA bring out and trying to innovate you know, ourselves and, and bring out new features that the community want to see. Let's talk about Team Footwiz then. So you, you talked yep. about when obviously Foot Champions came out, you saw it as an opportunity then, did you, to say, you know what, we've got the platform now, let's go full on into esports and see what we can do. Pretty much. Um, so I think EA announced Foot Champions uh, with the launch of FIFA 17. And then we kind of put plans into place to to get into it and start off our own team and sign a player really ready for the turn of the year. So we were looking at January to, to kind of get into it all um, ready for kind of event season because the first events in, in FIFA 17 weren't until I think February. So yeah, that, that was our plan. I kind of leaned on some of my past contacts within the esports, um, FIFA esports community. Um, obviously I kept in touch a little bit since I'd been playing competitively, uh, competing in a few tournaments kind of casually um, and kept in contact with with a number of people. So um, one of the people, we, we, one of the players that, well, the player that we initially signed was um, Ty Walton, who I'd known for what must be seven, eight, nine years before that as just friends playing clubs and, and, and playing practice games. So uh, he came on board uh, as our first ever player. Um, and I think leading into one of the first, uh, events. I think he managed to hit first in the world on Fight Champions, which was a, a big deal for us. Like being able to just come in straight away and have a player who's really competing at the very, very top level was a uh, huge for us. And I think really made a statement about our entry into the esport. 
So what was your biggest successes initially with, obviously you said you, you signed Thai, but then over the next kind of few years, what were the big successes that you had with your esports organization? I mean, the, the first year was really about trying to, to make events and seeing where we could go from there. So we had Thai, he, he, made, he made Paris. And then from there on, um, we looked at players who had the potential to break through and make events. So um, we signed uh, Pricey and Louis at the time. We were both qualified for, for Madrid. But it, it was, unfortunately for us, it, things didn't go quite to plan in that first year at events. Um, we got knocked out in the groups. It's really just rebuilding and, and going at it again for, for FIFA 18. Um, which was a lot more successful. Um, we signed um, a number of players who we um, kind of flagged as, as up-and-comers, um, Dubsy, Zelonius, Honey Badger, uh, and they all went on to have pretty fantastic seasons, really coming out of relative you know, obscurity. Um, you know, uh, Zelonius won the Gfinity uh, MVP award at the Elite Series. Dubsy won um, ESWC, Paris, uh, to get to the playoffs, basically, on Xbox. And, of course, Honey Badger uh, made the FIFA E-World Cup Grand Final, uh, eventually finishing fifth. So for our second year, that was that was phenomenal. It was a, a real, I think, sign of intent. And um, it, it it really kind of shaped our kind of roadmap for the, for the years to follow. Um, and really, it's just gone gone from there. That must have been a whirlwind couple of years. In 2016, you, you're running a FIFA database website. And then in the next kind of two years, you, you go from no esports organization to then having someone in the, in the grand final. That must have been a bit of a whirlwind for you and the guys at FootWiz. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I won't lie. It was a bit of a, I think it felt like a bit of an underdog story at the time, given that we're, the FIFA ecosystem was, was kind of strange because there were a lot of kind of new teams who were new to esports, had existing brands. So like even you know, in the UK, looking at Hashtag United, who got into esports a little bit before us, but they were still obviously a, a new team, but with an existing brand. But we were going up against these kind of massive multi-game esports organizations that were already very embedded with esports that dipped their toe into FIFA or that had carried um, an involvement from from, from kind of the previous existing free free sports before um, EA got into it with the kind of uh, Gfinity tournaments and play like a legend um, Xbox tournaments. So it was really surreal, I guess, to, to suddenly be able to say, hey, we can compete at this level, I guess, because of our platform and the footing we had in the FIFA community um, as a FIFA and eSports team and with the, the kind of branding we had with FotWiz um, and the fact that we could run the team using the, the budget from the community site uh, we could make it work and sustainable from a very early stage to say, hey, let's do this and see how far it goes. But um, I think very early on within FIFA 17, we were like, yeah, we can see how this is playing out. And FIFA 18, really, we didn't at the start of the year. You know, the goal was to to make events and and get far in knockouts. But the the E World Cup was grand final was uh, was unbelievable. I mean, the way we got to it was was quite surreal as well. Honey Badger got quite unlucky in a, in a few tournaments where things hadn't gone quite his way and he'd uh, a few rulings hadn't gone our way as well and uh, it wasn't looking like he was going to be able to make the playoffs. Uh, he lost in the last game of a playoff on goal difference, I think, in uh, in Manchester to, to make the playoffs. And then um, he made it through the last chance qualifier where you literally play one weekend of weekend league and the top, however many spots are left, those players get the spots. So he made it to the playoffs got it done there and uh yeah we were at the grand final and uh from there you know he went on to have a really good tournament um finishing fifth which fifth on on, on playstation in the world was was unbelievable for us 
how did you cope personally from from your role massively changing in those couple of years? You, you've gone from obviously running a website and and founding it yourself and kind of building that community base to you've got to manage multiple esports talents who are representing your brand. That that's a massive. How did you cope with that personally? It was a bit of a shift. Um, I mean, when shortly after I I quote unquote retired from competitive esports in like 2011, 2010, I did a bit of player management, um, helped uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Dave Witz, who runs Sweet Patch, who used to prop up the esports community back in the day. Uh, the number of tournaments they used to run and, and help support us at the UK lands was uh, unbelievable. So I helped I helped them with their, their team for a little bit. A little bit of player management, but it wasn't too hands-on. But there are a few players on the team who uh, are still quite well known. There's um, uh, Giuseppe Costella, who plays for LA Galaxy and was on Team Sweet Patch. Uh, um, Nenad Stoyevic, who's the um, who 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 uh, was a FIWC champion. I think he last played for Columbus Crew. He was on the team as well. There was a you know a, a number of really good players on that team, um, and th- there was a little bit of player management involved, but it wasn't really as hands on anywhere near as hands on as it is now. Um, so I guess I had that little bit of experience, but really when it came to esports, I guess I even looked at Fuck Champions when it came out in FIFA 17. I was like, do I fancy another cracker actually playing competitively? And I think it was quite clearly on that I just wasn't at that level at all anymore. Like there was no way I'd be able to get to that level. Um, I guess a little bit age um, because at that time I was turning 30. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's it's not really the age to be kind of dipping into it um, unless I was immediately already really good at the game. But I had the experience of playing at events. I had a little bit of management experience, um, done a little bit of like coaching people, just gameplay stuff and advice in the past. So just it was kind of like obviously a massive step, but there was some progression and kind of a logical step involved in it. So uh, really it was um, it was just a you know scaling it up as the team built. So it was kind of a little bit learning on the job a little bit because obviously we started off in 2000, 2007, uh, sorry, 2018 for FIFA 17. That's right. No, 2017 for FIFA 17. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Um, yeah, I always get mixed up. I, I think in game cycles. So a year for me is September to September. That's when I say next year. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, quite confusing. So yeah, for, for the start of our esports team, obviously it started quite small and uh, it, it was all logical progression. So I was kind of learning on the job. Um, I didn't initially start out really coaching players it's more just a kind of management role but um i think ever since uh honey badger asked me to sit with him in the booth at the grand final that's when i started kind of actually starting to kind of coach players a little bit i mean he didn't really do much coaching he wasn't really a talker during the game but it kind of started from there and uh from there on i guess really with um with marco in uh in fifa 19 that's when i really started to, to coach players more because he really liked having me sit with him stand behind him and really talk through games or when we're allowed to talk you know talk a half time after games analyze because uh, it wasn't really something i'd done at events previously it was more something we'd done at the the foot was hq uh, when we were doing weekend league i'd often you know say a few things and but i wouldn't really get too hands-on on the coaching it was more just a kind of observing and management role yeah, we've seen that increase, haven't we, over the last few years, the amount of coaches that are involved with particular esports players and obviously organisations as well. Do you think sometimes it's just if they're missing something because they're so involved in the game, another eye might just see something that they've missed? Sometimes. I mean, it has changed in recent years because of new rules brought in. Um, initially, really, for when things started getting serious, uh, coaches were only allowed... Uh, to stand behind the player and they were only allowed to speak to the player at half time 
or in between matches. So there was no communication allowed during the game. Um, and that's changed. Um, now you can chat to a player during the game. Um, there's a lot more two-way. You know, you, you obviously can't do anything or, or, or affect your opponents around you, but you have to kind of respect your surroundings. But yeah, you can have ongoing communication through the game. And I guess that has meant that there is more of a, a space for, for coaches to come in and, and do their thing. But for me personally, I see it more. I mean, these guys play an unbelievable amount of FIFA. They've kind of honed their craft. And FIFA is a game which is very methodical, very logical, um, and they know what works. I think more of a gain sometimes, yeah, it's if they've missed something or, hey, you could change a player here. You can make a sub. Hey, you know, he's he's dragging his fullbacks out or, you know, he's too aggressive in midfield. You know, it's, it's really just little bits of tactical advice rather than like, hey, you need to do this skill, I think. Um, but even more than that, I think the 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 skill gap, it's not really a skill, but the, the, the defining factor at the top level is mentality. So you're there to kind of help the player keep his head when he's a little bit wobbled, you know, like if he's looking a bit shaky in the last 10 minutes in the 80th minute and he's got the, he's, he's got the lead, it's like, hey, you've got to keep the ball, work it down the sides, keep it away from the danger areas. It's like, it's more managing mentality, expectations, and motivating them, you know, in games where, you know, they've maybe gone a goal or two down early on. It's like, hey, you need to, you know, this is how to, to come back. This is the mindset you need to be in. There's been a theme throughout all of our different podcast episodes talking to, to FIFA pros and coaches and, and kind of team talent leaders and stuff throughout the, the whole series. Mm-hmm. And we see a constant where esports it shares so much with traditional esports in terms of, like you said, the very top players. The thing that separates the best from the not so good is the mentality in top level competitions when the, the pressure's on, who can keep their head. And we, we see that in traditional sports like football and tennis and golf and all different kinds of so there's there's some real similarities there isn't there in in the different sports absolutely in fifa particularly i think because there's a lot of composure required um if you're going in as the ranked 32 seed in a tournament you're playing number one in the first game are you going to be able to stay composed in defense are you going to panic when they come flying at you with skill moves and pace you know are you going to be able to you know contain that and in your mind think yeah i'm confident enough to see off this attack attack myself and get a goal a lot of the time you know that's almost the defining factor where the the lowest seeded player or the player that doesn't have the experience um, already goes into a game where they think christ you know i'm up against this and it affects and influences their decisions um, they maybe panic a little bit they lack composure um, because they don't have that confidence and mentality um, and players that gain the experience that kind of break through and have those breakthrough moments where they can build on their confidence and mentality that's when you start to see them really establish themselves at the top level i think we've seen players who have broken through had a real breakout tournament and then some you know suddenly just they're established at the top level and they can keep reproducing their, those results i think it's because they've developed that mentality and confidence that they can compete at the top level with the top players and it influences their gameplay across the board so um yeah um up and coming players if 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 they're able to address their confidence and mentality and kind of go into games genuinely believing that they can get a result then that makes a world of difference. So it's not just about the talent, it's about what you do with that talent and like you said, the mentality of of different situations in the game and some of the setbacks you have and not getting too high when you do get good results. It can be really important, can't it, especially within the tournament. I just want to go back quickly to something you said earlier. It would have been an amazing story, wouldn't it, if you launched Team Footwiz with Footwiz Dan as the main FIFA esports player? Was that was that the real dream initially at the start? But then obviously you said that you, you didn't feel you were at the level. I don't think it was ever really on the roadmap because 
because of my age, I think, because I'd already had my time. Like, sure, if I was 10 years younger, we probably like it, it would have been a no brainer, right, to give it a go. Do you think it is age? Do you think that's a, that's a factor? Because we sit, obviously, we talk to different people in the community, and it, does it really make that much of a difference? The fact that someone's a little bit older in terms of maybe reaction speed, or I don't think so, because maturity comes with it as well. It was more the time available to dedicate to it. So when I was at my peak playing FIFA, I was at university and had a ton of time to dedicate to really grinding the game and playing FIFA. Uh, you know, fast forward, uh, to, to 10 years, I'm, I'm engaged. Um, I've got a company, I've, I've, I work a lot. And even if I tried to scale down and work and play more FIFA, there's still a ton of stuff I have to do on the website, um, around that, that I can't dedicate the amount of time and that, and it's also climbing the hill again like i wasn't good at fifa 15 16 because i took it so casually like it's 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 not just coming in and being good straight away it's like having to relearn things drop old habits there are things that i still do that i have bad habits from like fifa 10 11 i have a really weird control scheme that people you know laugh at me for a little bit but these are old habits that i've carried over from old games and kind of i have a i have this glass ceiling because i have too many old habits so i think sometimes it's, it's just that because fifa changes year on year so much sometimes players who have played for so long have old habits that are difficult to break because there are some things from old games that were so good that they're just ingrained in your muscle memory and it takes a real effort to, to relearn things um, and i've made a bit of an effort this year actually to try and relearn things and actually adapt to new mechanics um, i had a, a degree of success so um i managed to get uh elite one for the first time in fuck champions and get fuck champions verified um, I hit it a few times in the end this year um, and took part in the qualifiers. So I actually ended up ranked, I think, in the top 200 on Xbox in the world um, because I, because of the fact I took part in a qualifier when I was on holiday in Japan. So I actually played in the rest of the world qualifier rather than the European one, which had a much smaller player pool. So the odds of making some knockouts were a little bit higher. So I managed to make, managed to basically, I got a double buy and scraped my way through to knockouts, but got the pro points from that. So on the, on the face of it, it actually looks like I've done all right from a kind of mini comeback this year, but really can, you know, I'm nowhere near the level really required to, to, to make it. And, uh, I don't think it was really ever on the cards to say, Hey, you know, player manager is, uh, going to make a, a push for events in, you know, in FOT 17, that was never really, that was never really a thing. Sounds like you're downplaying your ability a bit from what you've said. I mean, you you, you just said you were in the top uh, 200 in the world at one stage. So, I mean, do you give your current players a bit of a game sometimes? Um, I played Lyrics the other day. Uh, he was playing subs on stream and he just called me out for a game. And uh, it was all right. It was close in places. But you can see where he he's a top pro and I'm not. Like You can see his composure and defending against my rushing out and needing to win the ball because I don't like people coming at me. I don't have the kind of... It's like a do as I say, not as I do. If you watch me playing FIFA, um, I defend like a, like a kid with no composure. Like I'm rushing at people trying to get the ball because I don't feel confident in my own abilities to, to kind of sit and win the ball back. Um, and people comment that, hey, Dan, you still attack like a, a decent player, like a, someone who could, you know, be a competitive player, but your defending's like silver too. Like it's, you can, you can see, uh, I can give the player the odd game if I sweat and really put it, you know, everything into it and really like consistent, consistently talking to myself. Don't rush at them. Don't rush at them. Don't rush at them. Uh, and then on the attack, because I'm decent at attacking, I might sneak a goal or two. But um, yeah, you know, I've, I've played players 
at events because I'm obviously there coaching players and played on the event build and, and given a few people a game. But over a consistent period, if you ask me to do it over a weekend league or through a tournament, absolutely not. I get found out very, very, very quickly. And I think that's also a thing that separates the, the best from the rest. It's the unbelievable consistency that these guys have. Like FIFA is a game that has a high degree of randomness involved, yet these same guys are always performing um, at the top level and in the, in the weekend league. Yeah, you mentioned lyrics there. Let's talk about your your current roster. He's involved in the the Summer Cup, I and mean, we're recording on a Friday, so he's uh, he's involved in the Summer Cup tonight, is he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three hours time kickoff. That's right. He's uh, playing uh, Diego Mendes of uh, Sporting. So by the time people listen to this, he might have won the whole thing. So you could just probably say that now if you want. You could just announce that he's won the whole thing, and then we can always edit it out afterwards. I'd love to, but I'm so superstitious. Even when it comes oh, okay. to qualifying for an event or winning an event or whatever, I don't do the graphic until after the game. Even if they're in the final half time and they're up, uh, I can't. I'm terribly superstitious. So even last year at the the playoffs where Marco was knocked out top 32, but needed Lev to kind of win out his games to, to make World Cup because Marco was sitting in that 16th spot. So we basically needed Lev to beat, um, I think, Shells at the time and uh, lost in the waves. We needed him to kind of win out to, to stop these people from overtaking him. Even when Lev, I think, was like 8-1 up or something against lost in the waves at half time, I was pacing around, still stressed out because... Anything can happen in FIFA. And people are like, you know, Dan, it's already done. You're at the World Cup again. It's it's absolutely fine. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just so superstitious when it comes to that kind of stuff. I don't want to jinx it. All right, we'll leave that out then. Uh, we'll just wish you the best of luck for tonight. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so talk about some of your other players then. So who else have you got in your, your current roster at Team Footwiz? Okay, so at the moment we have on our pro roster, we've got um, Lyrics, obviously, um, in the UK on Xbox. Um, we've got Painter on PlayStation, although you know, we recently announced that he will be departing the team at the end of his contract uh, at the beginning of September. Um, we've got Russia uh, in the UK as well, who plays on Xbox. And then in Australia, we've got um, Marco on PlayStation, Jamie on Xbox, and Dylan, our academy player, on PlayStation as well. Cool. So I was going to ask about that in terms of the different talents. Are you always keeping an eye on the different tournaments that are going on to see what the next kind of the up and coming ones or possible people that you can sign and stuff like that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's always about keeping an eye on things because things are constantly developing in FIFA. You know, there's metas developing and there's different content coming out that maybe propels different in-game players to different levels that maybe suit different people um so there's a real curve throughout the game with ultimate team that the meta is kind of always changing obviously the game is changing with patches it changes year on year it's really about finding players who are fundamentally good at fifa rather than just kind of like someone who has a few good weekend leagues or a good tournament it's about finding those people who can carry form through to different circumstances we've seen you know last year with fifa 19 it was el tornadoes and back post headers uh, almost volleyball and this year we've got carpet football that's at snail's pace so it's completely different things so you want to find people who are fundamentally good at adapting to these mechanics um, and you know luckily as you know FUTWIZ as a community site that you know has an esports database as well we've got a massive database of FUT champions results to, to call on which when there weren't many events at the start of esports coming in that was a real help to inform some of our decisions and, and track people who are up and coming and had the potential to maybe you know, look at these people to, to do well at events because there wasn't a lot of historical data to go off. And you mentioned Dylan there as your academy player. How does that mm -hmm. work in terms of your academy? How does that kind of translate into the whole team? 
So it's uh, obviously a different tier. It's not a professional uh, paid thing. Uh, it's like a kind of gateway into us trying to elevate players to a level where we can bring them onto a, a pro contract. We've had a lot of success with that in the past. The two previous academy players we've had, uh, Jamie, who's you know ranked number one in Australia on Xbox now and, and top 20 in the world, and uh, Tom Lease, you know, who's now with Hashtag and I think ranked three in the world on PlayStation. We've had a lot of success. Those are the two previous academy players. So uh, I think it's a real strong track record of us being able to bring players through, help them realize their potential, and also help build up the, the platform around them. Because I don't see esports, FIFA esports, as just the competing side, because there's so much going around it, because FIFA is such a content-rich game um, with a massive community. Like the, the numbers are crazy, and FIFA's all like a kind of gateway to, to esports because of the accessibility of it, and obviously the, the relationship with real football. We really want to help build up players' brands and make it sustainable for them outside of the actual competitive side as well. So there'll be content, social media, um, all of that to kind of help make them quite well-rounded. Um, and the academy is part of that. It's like, hey, we'll give you this opportunity. We'll see. We'll just see how it goes and we'll help build out your brand and uh, see whether we can eventually you know, move things on to a, a pro deal later on. Do you kind of talk to them as well about the kind of negative aspects that might come across as well in terms of some of the things to expect? Obviously, social media, we, we see a lot of things go on there in terms of comments and especially when people are streaming. Do you do, you do a bit of coaching there about what to expect? It's It's been something, I guess, with the growth, it's been something that, that people have been exposed to quite slowly. Um, so it's not really a kind of, hey, here's a kind of coaching session. It's just the odd comments uh, in our team uh, DM and because everyone's kind of gone through it as well at different stages uh, in our team they're always on hand to lend advice or talk about things you know and and give each other support I think that's the great thing about our team that everyone is really close and gives support to each other no matter we've got you know one half of the team in the UK one half of the team in Australia you know that they're, they're all so supportive of each other and so close uh, despite the distance you couldn't really get further distance wise just talking about the kind of future of, of Team Footwiz, where are you seeing Team Footwiz in the future? What are your goals for the next couple of years? I mean, every year we've we've bettered our results in the previous season. I think that is really, you know, a, a big indicator of, of how we've been doing. And uh, it gives us a lot of confidence moving forward um, in terms of identifying talent and helping them re realise the present potential. You know, the, the previous two years we had, players reached their first ever FIFA World Cup Grand Final in their debut year with us. We would have been on course for the same this year with Lyrics. Um, well, had, had the season not been uh, curtailed by uh, coronavirus. So I think that gives us a real confidence heading forward to say, hey, that is what we want to do. Our ultimate goal is to be at the FIFA World Cup Grand Final. And once you're there, as Moalba showed last year, after not having the best year of FIFA, once you're there, anything can happen. Obviously, the the, the goal is to, to win it, but only one person can do that every year. FIFA is a game with millions and millions and millions of players. So it's, you know, we just want to, we want to be there, the, the big events and um, see how far we can go if, if you know, if, if not win it. But um, obviously as a global brand with a very global reach, um, we've obviously got uh, footholds in, uh, in the UK and in Australia and other, you know, native English speaking country. But the goal really is to, to work with, with more regions, more developing talent to help, 
help them grow and, and, and help the regions grow as well. You know, we've, there, there are players in, in other regions that we've, you know, we've followed and you know, very interested in speaking to. So I think ideally long, longer term is to, to build out the team and have more of a, a worldwide coverage, even though we're a very much a UK team with a, with a base in, in the UK is to, you know, help players in other regions uh, grow as well. Um, and I think we've shown, especially, you know, with the Australian players with Marco and uh, Jamie in the last year in particular, you know, when, when there's a tournament in, in Europe, as there have been many times at the PGL studios in Bucharest, for them to be able to come over to the UK first, get a the jet lag, spend a bit of time at HQ, practicing against other opponents in, in Europe on, on rivals and in friendlies, and then fly over to the tournament itself in uh, Bucharest. There's a lot of a lot of value there. A lot of you know, it's it's a it's real good experience and, and good preparation uh, for a tournament. Obviously, you, you're in a pretty good place at the moment. But in terms of the future, I mean, FIFA esports is growing every year. FIFA 20 is already the most popular game in FIFA franchise history, and there's been record viewing figures in terms of online and Twitch and all all different channels. What are some of the things that you're kind of expecting from the future of FIFA esports? I mean, I'd, do you think we're close to seeing possibly fees between FIFA esports organisations for their players or anything like that? What are you expecting for the future? I really don't know. I think things of things for some clubs, I think specifically for football clubs, because of the pandemic, I've seen a few football clubs scale down their involvement, which is disappointing to see, but obviously different businesses have been hit at different extents, you know, with football clubs losing their the income from from gate receipts from from stadiums and, and fans coming in obviously that's that's not going to help at all um so i wonder if that has, has maybe put things on ice for, for for some sections of the industry um uh, luckily as as uh, as our team and how it's run and how it's funded sustainably using a our community site as a, as a base and we've got fantastic support from our partners Elgato who are really keen for us to kind of create content that's how we make things sustainable I think and that's how I see a lot of the future developing within FIFA esports um, kind of pushing content to kind of build this narrative around the events you know the, the story around qualifying playing week and league week on week you know a lot of people don't respect the grind so much I don't think from outside of the the kind of esports community uh, they just see these players turn up for an event it's on a broadcast and they go home and you know, it's, it's, it's a break until the next one it's very much a, a grind and i think it's on us to kind of tell those stories but in terms of the finance side and transfer fees i, I really don't know it's a, it's a really difficult one to to kind of tell i mean at the moment the free agent market is pretty is pretty hot and i think that's where a lot of teams are looking to, to kind of dip in um but in the past, you know, there has been, you know, team to team transfers, but not too many massive ones, I guess. It's really just been a, a kind of end of contract, almost unofficial transfer window thing. We've seen that kind of happen, haven't we, over the last few months in terms of free agents. There's been a lot more, like you said, with uh, Ajax obviously stopping their esports. We've seen a couple of their guys as well become free agents and stuff. With FIFA 21 due out uh, in October, do you think it will pick up again with the launch of maybe some new teams? And, and obviously you're going to get a bunch of new players coming through as well that, that have a good couple of weeks on FIFA 21 and they want to kind of become pro players. I mean, I hope so, but I think the the aim and the, the wish is for teams to come in to make it sustainable from the off, to have a kind of plan of, because FIFA is quite different to a number of other esports because of the the mix of people involved. You know, you don't just have big traditional esports orgs going at, you know against each other. You've got football clubs, you've got pro footballers who own their teams. So I guess teams need to come in with an expectation and a kind of realization of of, of how it works and how to make it sustainable long term. Because um, I think part of the 
problem has been we've seen teams come and go a little bit too much. We've seen a few players burnt by by certain things happening with commitments and stuff. So it's really about coming and support the 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 esport long term and the the opportunities are definitely there. You know, we've seen phenomenal uh, engagement in game with um, our esports kit. So yeah, kind enough to include uh, FIFA Ultimate Team for all players to use. And I think there's 20 other teams that 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 are in you know FIFA 20 as well with their esports kit. EA are great at giving us you know features and, and interviews. Like an interview went out with Lyrics today on EA's official channels in the lead up to the to the Summer Cup series. So the the opportunities for exposure are absolutely there. It's about making it sustainable for for teams to come in and and make it work. You know, don't expect to be successful straight away. Um, build it up, um, pick up the right players, give them the support, give them the, uh, the the tools they need to to compete and um, and and see it through. Just hearing about your story and footwears and how Team Footwears came about, you've come such a long way in such a short period of time. Do you sometimes kind of pinch yourself and think when we were just kind of building this little website and then now you've got this one of the major FIFA esports teams? That's a that's a pretty big change in just a few years. I guess so. Um, there's not a lot of time for reflection and hindsight because honestly, we're working so flat out all the time. I guess I'm literally working two full-time jobs all the time because I still work heavily on the website side with a lot of um, business development, project management, um, social media, etc. Um, and then obviously on the esports side as well, you know, I'm the the player manager, coach, uh, I do the marketing. Uh, and the brand deals for that as well. So it's, a, it's two real big full-time jobs that have have roles across you know many different aspects of each job. So it's not a lot of time to kind of sit back and and reflect. I guess um, it's all about pushing forward and, and trying to grow things and 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 better ourselves. You know. So uh, yeah, it, it, I guess looking at it, you know, the last eight years have been a whirlwind. You know, what started as a, a hobby just. Uh, uh, it kind of accepted that, I guess, back in 2011, that kind of my time competing was over. The space for FIFA esports didn't exist. We didn't, you know, didn't know that Fox was going to blow up. So I kind of accepted that, hey, you know, I've, I've managed to do a little bit in gaming. You know, I, I worked a little bit in gaming before that as well. Was a, as a kind of tournament admin for, for Counter Strike, um, doing some bits and pieces for for multiplayer who run the Insomnia series in the UK. But then after that, I was like, hey, I, I kind of feel that I need to seek a career outside of gaming. But then what was happened, I got pulled straight back into it in a kind of full time sense. And now it's, you know, this is it. You know, I'm in my early 30s and uh, I am in you know, full time in the, the video game industry. And it's it's something that is, I guess, something that I kind of pinch myself every now and again, because it really is, you know, living the dream, working around something that you're so passionate for that it doesn't like it's a bit cliche. But, you know, when you work on something you're you're so passionate about and you enjoy, it's not always really a job, even though it really is crazy hours like i'm literally working seven days a week from when i wake up to to when i sleep thankfully my wife is incredibly supportive um she's a gamer and she gets it and uh she follows the esports scene as well that she doesn't play fifa herself but she follows fifa esports and uh she's a you know really good sounding block to, to talk about any decisions and stuff yeah it's 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 been an incredible journey but uh it's it really is non-stop but it's something that i definitely really enjoy 
most people, if if they watch an esports tournament, like you mentioned earlier, and they see the players and they see the team managers and they see the whole organisations, some people might just think that you kind of just turn up and uh, you know at a tournament and then just play one off and then go back home and then just carry on playing casually. But esports is more than just about playing a few games here or there, isn't it? It's like you've said and like you've proved. Uh, there's a lot of hard work that goes in behind the scenes, both from a team manager, CEO point of view, and also the players as well. I think I think that's our job going forward to make people more aware of that because I think we've seen in 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 other areas of 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 the world in sports and esports that that content can really help prop up uh, a sport or an esport in in times of in, like when something's suspended like the sport has recently been suspended I I, I guess look an example for uh, the F1 documentary on Netflix Drive to Survive it's brought a load of new fans in because before F1 maybe looks quite impersonal to people it's a, it's a group of guys in helmets you can't see their faces they're in cars you don't you know, get to get an interaction with them um, and that's it they turn up for a race every couple of weeks and that's it but these documentaries have helped people buy into the personalities that people learn about the kind of struggles in between races how they have to prepare pre-season etc and I think that's really that that kind of template can be transferred to so many things um, in sports and esports. Uh, so I think it's really our job to kind of let people know what the kind of grind is, how people are qualifying for events, the good times, the bad times, and get people more emotionally attached in in how these players are doing to share the the lows and the highs because that's when you really get the big celebrations when things go well. And there are some teams that, that do a pretty good job for it already, but I think across the board in FIFA, um, we could do a lot more because uh, there are so many parallels to, to real football, but there are obviously so many things that are different that we need to educate people on, hey, this is what esports is like in FIFA and uh, this is how it is on a day-to-day basis. I wonder how long it will be before we get a documentary on behind the scenes of an esports team. That would be pretty mega to see that. I mean, it'd be really interesting. Yeah, I think it'd be one of those things that would actually work really, really well, especially like a, a team esport or something, you know, where you've got like 5v5, 4v4, that kind of that kind of thing to follow these players and, and see the dynamic interaction outside of events would, would work really, really well. Obviously, esports isn't going anywhere. It's just getting bigger and bigger every year. And and like you said, during the obviously the coronavirus pandemic, there was a lot of bad stuff happening. But one of the positives out of it, I suppose, is the fact that esports has really we've seen loads of people talking about it. And like you said, with the especially with the the F one virtual Grand Prix, you saw the, the real life F one drivers get involved and even enhance the reputation by winning these esports events and people thinking, hang on a minute, these these drivers, their virtual racing translates into their real life racing and it, it's made more people think about, hang on, there's a real skill involved in these esports. It's not just around about sitting there and going on a controller and messing about. There's a, there's some real skill involved and hopefully that education will continue over the next few years, like you said, and with more people knowing more about it and more audience as well, I think there'll be a real change in how people see esports over the next few years. No, absolutely. I mean, looking at F1, I really enjoy watching the Virtual Grand Prix. I follow F1 already. Um, I'm really into it. Um, I, I guess there's a, a much bigger parallel there because you can almost replicate a sim racing setup at home with you know steering wheel pedals, etc., and kind of replicate what it's like to drive a real car. FIFA is obviously very different with with a pad, um, and you're controlling 11 players at once. But we have seen pro footballers 
come in and be very, very good at FIFA. Like David Myler was hitting top 100 fairly consistently, 30 and O's, and he's beating pros, you know. But it's it's because, you know, you've got a good football brain. It's obviously, you know, good hand-eye coordination. Um, and a lot of those skills and, foot, you know, things from football mentality um, and the things they learn can translate to a game, even though they're not playing with their feet, they're playing with their hands instead. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, really good pro footballers, you know, the the recent, during the pandemic, you know, the the, the, the cops that were run by EA and like, the Premier League and the other leagues, you know, we saw a lot of footballers, pro footballers come in and play some really, really good stuff. Um, I think a lot of people are really surprised at, at the standard um, at times of of how good these people really are when you don't see any of that side normally, you see them on the pitch and you assume they go and maybe play a few games casually and whatever and that's it. But no, some of these guys are really, really good and it just shows a lot, there's a lot of transferable skills. And it is interesting as well to mention the the Premier League that you're talking about. And we talked about the mentality of kind of elite esports players and what sets them apart. Uh, I think it was the semi-final with Trent Alexander-Arnold, obviously represented Liverpool, was against Raheem Sterling and Man City. I think he was two goals. I think he was two nil down at half time in one of the games against Raheem Sterling in the semi-final. And he got it back to 3-2. That just proves that there's parallels there, obviously, between the mentality of these pro esports players and elite sportsmen as well. The fact that they can they can kind of just neutralise it and say, okay, it's nil nil, let's get it type thing. I think that's it's a, it's a really interesting parallel that you've drawn there between the two. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of sportsmen coming into play esports like FIFA will have a little bit of edge coming in already because they've had the mental training, you've got the experience, you've got the experience of playing in massive crowds under huge pressure. I can, uh, and that kind of stuff can translate really well to to playing something like FIFA, even though on the face of it, there aren't, there doesn't look like there's many transferable skills, but actually on the mental side, there are so many. So uh, yeah, I think that's why I've seen a number of footballers come in and be very, very good. And I've played a number and I've been beaten by a, a number of them as well. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's sometimes really surprising on how good they really are. But uh, yeah, a lot of it is mentality. Just to put it out there as well, in the, the first Formula One race in Austria, every uh, real life Formula One driver that participated in a virtual Grand Prix finished ahead of their teammate in the first yeah. race. So just putting that out there for people who are pessimistic who are listening to this. Uh, maybe it's just the the kind of practice that you get from it, the muscle memory and stuff. But, I mean, there's definitely parallels to be drawn there. And, um, yeah, hopefully as esports gets bigger and bigger and we see bigger audiences, hopefully we'll see more education around it and um, it deserves a lot more respect. Uh, hopefully we'll see that over the next couple of years as, as it gets bigger and bigger. Yep, I mean, there's also the relatability, right? Like FIFA has helped bring and bridge the gap between the pro footballers and the fans. Um, there's been a lot of collaborative content with pro footballers, esports pros, and the community. You know, there's, a, there's been a lot of, and there's a lot of that can, that can happen going forward to help bridge the gap, and it helps elevate FIFA as an esport, and um, it gives these, you know, pro footballers new platforms to grow on and 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 you know, address their fans. And you know, we saw Aguero come out of nowhere to start streaming on Twitch to become one of the biggest uh, Twitch FIFA streamers during the pandemic. You know, it was, yeah. we saw some crazy numbers. You know, it's really people that are really buying into it. It's like, hey, there is this platform here that you can come in and, you know, do your thing and um, and the people will flock to it. Um, uh, and yeah, it's 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 a really big opportunity. And uh, yeah, like I said, we've seen some really good content um, f- with football clubs, uh, with players. I mean, we had the, the Quarantine Cup that had all these football clubs involved that were that were nominating players to, to play from them. Um, I did play in that myself. I represented the team I support, Sunderland. The first game went all right, but the second game I got matched up against a pro and got absolutely outclassed. I lost 10-0. It was uh, really embarrassing, but um, 
it was a really good opportunity to be involved and like yeah the crossover and i was literally speaking to the main media people at sunland like and and they were learning about it and 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 there were a few players signed off on the back of that as well like, i know danny taylor signed for his hometown club middlesbrough that he's always wanted to play for because of the um quarantine cup so there's been some really good opportunities come out of this and there have been some teams and people that have really seized the opportunity um, I think where a lot of it was seen from, from from maybe some other games like obviously F1 absolutely smashed it with the way they approach things throughout the pandemic. I think with with EA and FIFA things were a little bit slower to 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 move. Um, we got things going kind of a, a, a few months in, and now we've got like obviously the summer series coming in, replacing the latter end of the season. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, hopefully the the viewing figures will be decent. And we'll see some some good FIFA, and hopefully you know we we've got. Um, I think one round today, two rounds tomorrow, and then the finals uh, the day after. You know, hopefully Lyrics can win his game today and uh, and go all the way. You know, obviously want to you know hope that he can win it. And after that, we've got the um, for us the Oceana ones where uh, Jamie and Marco will be competing against each other for the first time on the same console. So that will be interesting as well. <laughs> that sure will be interesting. Yeah, and I'll definitely be tuning into that. I'll just want to say best of luck to to all your players for Team Footwiz for the Summer Cup. It's going to be good to see all the players back in action again against each other. We should see some, hopefully, some good games as well being being streamed this weekend and uh, over the coming weeks as well. Uh, best of luck for the future, uh, Dan, with everything at Footwiz. It's been great to, to chat with you. Really interesting to hear about the story about how Footwiz came about. And yes, yeah, it's, it's been really, really good to talk to you. So thanks a lot for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Level Up podcast and esports and gaming show. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast and follow us on social media at Level Up Pod. We'll be back for another episode very soon. Mm-hmm.